And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Peter M. Burfind, a campus pastor at the University of Toledo and author of Gnostic America, a reading of contemporary American culture and religion according to Christianity's oldest heresy. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on your show, Dan. You know, the other day I was reading online, uh, trying to catch up on news items and commentary, and I came across a recent article that you wrote, and that was published in The Federalist, and it had a somewhat provocative title called Millennials Are in Election Hell Because Politics Has Become Their God. And I know that you regularly talk with and work among these millennials, you understand them, uh, you love them. Um, can you tell us uh, what this article is all about, Peter? Well, my original working title for the article was The God That Failed. And uh, as I say in the article, that that book, The God That Failed, uh, was a book that came out in 1946. And it was written by six ex-communists who had come out of the communist movement and realized that communism was essentially a secular religion. And once they recognized that it was just a religion, a cult, actually, they said, i got to get out of this because it's it's completely irrational. And so that was kind of the working title I was going to go with, the idea that among millennials today, what has happened is many of them have fallen away from the faith. They've fallen away from the church, especially they've fallen away from organized religion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I work with these millennials, and not only as a a campus pastor, but especially also in the capacity of an army chaplain. Uh, when I get to a new unit, a new battalion, one of the first things I do is I go around and ask the soldiers, you know, what's your religion, what's your, what's your background, what, what kind of gives you a sense of morality and meaning? And I kind of joke that the, the biggest religious demographic that I come across is I grew up, whatever, Lutheran, Catholic, Presbyterian, whatever, I grew up Catholic, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, it, but something happened. I, I went to college, it usually starts with I went to college, and took science classes, and that, that got me away from it. Or I just realized that there's a lot of different pathways to get to God, or just whatever it is. But people are dropping away from organized religion and institution, what they would call institutional religion. Mm. And they're believing this idea that God has many names. Well, I would argue that, that this, in the vacuum created by this decline of Christianity in people's lives, um, and, and this gets back to the fact that I don't know if the human soul can tolerate not having faith. Right. People will either be, kind of like Christ said, people are either with him or against them. There's no neutral type situation where people are just sort of objective, science-minded people who are objectively looking at the truth. No, people either are fully on board the Christian Orthodox message, or they're going to be antagonistic against it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people drifting away from Christianity, but they're joining these other quasi-religious type movements, among which is politics, and particularly progressive politics. Mm-hmm. Now, in that book that you mentioned, The God That Failed, um, yeah. it was written back in the 1940s. In that book, um, can you tell us a little more about where their head was at? You know, they, How did they transition from, from one faith to uh, another faith? Well, it, it's, it's the argument of... Uh, it's a long story, and, and I encourage yeah. people to get my book to, to read the whole story, but basically what's happened is, is there's a species of millenarianism that has led to progressive and other totalitarian political movements in the modern age. Uh-huh. Now, what is millenarianism? Millenarianism was a medieval idea that 
the kingdom of God could be instituted in this world prior to Christ's coming, or that the kingdom of God is, is made manifest through human action. Christians typically, we're, we're awaiting Christ's return in order to set up the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, we understand that in this world, sin is still pervasive. We understand that there's going to be war, famine, and pestilence. The four horsemen of the apocalypse will be galloping to the four corners till mm-hmm. Christ returns. And only with his return, which will be very clear, very clear signs announcing his return, then will there be a new world created. Well, there is this idea, begun in the Middle Ages and, and carried through even up to the modern age, that the kingdom of God can be made manifest in this world, and we can have, well, pardon the expression, but we can have your best life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can have a utopia even in this world, and Christ's kingdom can be brought into existence uh, through human action and human striving, and then once that happens, people will overcome the war, and people will overcome famine and all these things. And what ha- and, and this is where it gets very pernicious and tricky, because Hegel, the philosopher Hegel, enters into this picture, because he sort of adapted this millenarian idea, and, and he said that history kind of moves forward through this divine spirit that's out there, that as people tap into it, God works through these movements in history, and history kind of progresses. And in the Middle Ages, yeah, you needed a church to teach you right and wrong. You needed scripture and doctrine to to educate us or catechize us in love for our fellow man and the importance of individual rights. But history is moving to a point when we'll no longer need the church. We'll no longer need doctrine. We will no longer need sacraments, because each person sort of baked into our DNA will have these ideas. So it really, Hegel is really the ground zero for this idea that you can be spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. We, don't need, we don't need church to teach you morality because it's just sort of part of the historical movement. So join the movement, join the collective, and you two can... We don't need church to teach us to be good because we're just going to be good on our own. And that is the foundation of progressivism, mm-hmm. the idea that you can institute the church on earth. It's sort of like having a church without doctrine, sacraments, any of the things we typically <laughs> identify with with the church. Yeah, it sounds like a, kind of a man-based kingdom of God... Uh, without exactly. go- without God, <laughs> right? Right. That's exactly what it is. That's oh. Exactly what it is. So, um, this article it, it was printed in the uh, the Federalist, actually mm-hmm. online. You see these kids. You see it both in the military as well as at at college level, um, where they've thrown out the historic Christian faith, and there's this cheap substitute of politics instead. Right. To, to give their lives meaning, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so so when, <laughs> and if they're of a progressive stripe, which which many uh, kids are coming out of school, particularly the government <laughs> schools, mm-hmm. uh, almost yeah. like little Marxists, um, so their hope is in politics, their hope uh-huh. is in the progressive worldview, and now with this election result, um, wow, what a bummer that must be. Right. Like I say in my article, it would be like if Christians woke up one day and discovered that Jesus Christ's bones had been discovered. Which yeah. would undermine the entire foundation <laughs> of our faith, right? Yeah, and it that, really that's would. A sense, I mean, if they believe that history is on their side, they believe that the movement of history is, is leading towards their progressive dream world, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how, how often have we heard that phrase? Uh, you know, we're on the right side of history, or President Obama will talk about the arc of history bends towards 
surprise, surprise, uh, everything that yes. he wants to institute. <laughs> so if history is not doing what they want, it must be a failure of, of their understanding of what God is, because God is kind of what they, they identify as history. Yeah. So these movements in, in the Middle Ages that kind of th- mm-hmm. threw out God and, and had a man-based uh, kingdom of God, quote-unquote, with a small g, um, they also, um, in your article you mentioned, they, they booted out Lutherans and Catholics. They instituted property sharing. That sounds very socialist to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I recommend that every conservative Christian should have on his bookshelf uh, the book by Norman Cohn, the pursuit of the millennium, and he he just recounts episode after episode after episode of these millenarian movements, and they always began with a prophet who believed he was immediately inspired inspired by God, and who believed that there's an elite group of saints who are immediately inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God was going to institute His new age, His the advent of His kingdom, through this movement in history. And whenever they happened, it was always a very cultish thing. It was always a very cultish thing gathered around a, a charismatic leader. And yeah. just as just as progressives, they, they had to sort of reconstitute nature itself. They changed the laws. They changed the names. They changed everything. There, there was no tolerance for uh, a more federal understanding of politics. You know, there's a group over here that, that will do things this way. There's a group that will do things here this way. No, it was totalitarian. Everybody's got to be yes. on board the program, yes. and and they and, and these happen. They're, they're millenarian movements, and they happen throughout the Middle Ages. Um, I would put the Anabaptists in that camp as well, and I you could even argue that the Puritans were, were had some of these vibes as well. I mean, when they came over to America, they believed that there was a new Englishman who was going to create a New England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when point. they came over here, remember they tried to institute. I mean, this is a good Thanksgiving thing, but they came over and they wanted to have communal ownership of property, and it took a year of realizing that the failure, right. that the governor, I think it was Governor Bradford, said, hey, no, you need to have private property. This, this silly platonic idea of communalism doesn't work. No, it does not work, yeah. 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 I'm a big advocate of private property. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, when the political god fails during this time in the Middle Ages, there was something going on about debt cancellation in your article? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was part of the program. It was uh, John Bockelston in um, uh, the, the Revolution in Munster, and that's what they did, because they, they believed they are getting back to uh, the situation of Acts 2. They misunderstood Acts 2, right. not as simple free will of giving charity, but they understood it as communal ownership of property, mm-hmm. which they look at this as a the situation before the fall. They believe that it was the fall that brought in the idea of private property and all this. Uh-huh. So if if the kingdom of God is, is happening on earth, well, there would be no property. Mm-hmm. John Lennon's song Imagine all over again, right? Mm-hmm. No property, no religion, no borders. Yeah, <laughs> we'll right. we all share everything as one. And so, yeah, uh, canceling that, well, of course, that, uh, that attracted a lot of the, the ne'er-do-wells in the neighboring area that came and joined his revolution. Mm-hmm. In, in Munster. Some people really want no borders, and, and I think they do more from an idealistic perspective, but truth be known, they have property, and they actually do lock their doors at night. Right, because it's natural. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, what was it, Horace, uh, the ancient Roman poet, that you can chase nature out with a pitchfork, but it'll come running back real quick. Yeah. You know, we we can deny the reality of male and female gender. We can deny 
the male-female compatibility, biological compatibility as the basis for marriage. But eh, we can make it last for a little while, but like uh, uh, Roadrunner, you know, chasing the guy <laughs> off the, what was it, Roadrunner and... Um, coyote. Coyote, yeah. You're <laughs> <laughs> running over the cliff and hanging suspended in midair. Suddenly <laughs> gravity will kick in, nature will kick in, and you'll be dragged to the floor. Yeah. But as far as boundaries go, I mean, look at, look at what is it, Acts 17, where it says God set up the boundaries of the nation. That's right. You know, he established these from the beginning. I mean, he, he set these. There's something about the proclamation of the gospel that requires, and I'm not sure what it is, it's, it would create an interesting discussion, but there's something about the proclamation of the gospel that in God's wisdom, boundaries are important for that. Yeah, they are. You, know, you look throughout Scripture and the importance of nations and, you know, the peoples and nations and tongues, there's, there's something going on with that. Mm, yeah. Now, you work with kids. Um, I call them kids because I'm older now. <laughs> right. Um, but um, what about the Christian ones? Are are they few and far between? Are they uh, getting fed in a Christian church, and are they growing in the Christian faith? Yeah, absolutely. That, my ministry at University of Toledo is actually pretty small, um, but we do have a nice, good core of, of, of students, and they're very solid. And I, I think we're moving into an age where we just have to buck up, and we we can't be looking at numbers anymore. We can't be expecting right. huge numbers. We, um, I, I think, and not to uh, malign anybody too much, but I think some of the non-denominational college groups are very light in their doctrine and very weak in their discussion of, of certain hot topics. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not like that. We deal with the heavy topics, and we, we get deep into doctrine to understand what's going well, on. That's good. Um, but but doing that, I mean, I think it's it's critical for their for sustaining their faith and and keeping them on the right path. It seems one of the real fundamental doctrines concerns um, the state of man uh, before a holy God, and how that uh, he's broken, and he's um, so um, dead in his trespasses and sins, uh, he can't reach out to God. It requires the grace of God reaching down right. to him. Um, that uh, kind of helps put some things in perspective as you consider that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's that is the that that's the the defect or the lack of understanding of original sin that I think leads towards progressivism is this um, optimistic understanding or optimistic understanding of the possibilities of of what humans can do. And, and in many ways, uh, people are taking a, a wager with humanity. They believe that we can disconnect ourselves from from the church and from the the teaching of scripture and we you know, we don't need that because it's just going to be part of our dna there's a new man arising there's you know evolution is leading us to a new understanding okay well let's see how that works mm-hmm. we're, we're disconnecting ourselves from the teaching of scripture and the church uh where you know you're 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 hoping that humanity doesn't have original sin and where will that lead i i don't have a positive appraisal of where that's going to go um, we know with original sin that it's it's going to go to towards disaster. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see that. I think we're we're starting to see some of the violence in our society and some of the just bullying and all this kind of thing. It's well, we've disconnected ourselves from Christ and the Church and the Word of God. I mean, what do we expect is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And also, um, an aspect of tension between groups of people, whether it's based on race or finances and what you have and what you have not. Those differences are highlighted in our society, but in a Christian worldview, they tend to um, really get smoothed out, because they're 
There's neither male nor female, you know, rich nor poor, but the gospel applies to all. And right. uh, it's a sad day when a politician tries to gain power by dividing people and causing groups of people to fight against each other. I think it's a grievous evil. Right. Now, uh, we have a lot of protests going on, and it's one thing to protest, whatever. <laughs> Make your mm-hmm. voice heard. We right. have First Amendment. American way. <laughs> but, it, but it's quite another thing to break other people's stuff. Um, now, we've seen some destruction of private property. We've seen mm-hmm. people injured and beat up and kicked and spit in the face and the image of God demeaned. Um, that's gone way over the line. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's iconoclasm, and it's classic iconoclasm that goes back to these millenarian movements that I was talking about in the early Middle Ages. It's part of what Gnosticism calls the human soul to do. Uh, we could have a deep discussion about Gnosticism, but to try to make a very long story short, the Gnostic believes that he's a, he's a prisoner in the systems and institutions of this world, and once he wakes up to that fact, he begins to break his way out of these shackles. And that literally means breaking the, the institution, for example, of private property, or the mm-hmm. institution of the family, or the institution of the church. And all the icons that represent these things justly should be broken in their mind. And only then will we sort of escape the systems and institutions of this world and have a world where we're all collectively as one. That's, that's what they believe or fancy can eventually happen. It will be yeah. a, a one world where we all share everything as one. Is there, uh, without sharing any personal information, do you see any differences between working with the college kids as compared to working with the soldiers? Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. I definitely, it being my ministry at, at University of Toledo, being more specifically Missouri Synod Lutheran ministry, I, it's I'm dealing with students that are very you know with my worldview, and and we can talk and share a lot of things. In the military, it's a whole different story. You got to be a little more strategic about how you present Christ. And mm-hmm. you know, I had one soldier come up to me once, and he said, "You know, Chaplain, I I'm, I feel suicidal. Uh, don't talk to me about my meaning. Of, you know, don't talk to me about how my life fits in the greater meaning of the world. Just I need help." Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. I had to sort of lead him to Christ in this really kind of yeah. back, you know, backward sense, kind of. Um, and it, you know, talking with him for three hours. Finally, after about three hours, he goes, "So where are you at church?" <laughs> Or where are you a pastor at? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it, you got to be more strategic in the way you present the gospel in, in the in the setting of the chaplaincy. It's a strange thing that we've seen develop too. Um, years ago, when let's say it was World War II, um, the expectations were a lot more towards Christianity and um, as being the hope, and particularly if you're on the battlefield, crying out to yeah. God crying for your mother as you lay there yep. dying and bleeding. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's quite a wake-up call. Yep. It was almost expected, uh, the Christian worldview. Now, I don't know how the modern soldier can survive without a belief in the, in the God of the Scriptures, frankly. I think they do find God. That, you know, the whole no atheist in foxholes is still a very real thing. Yeah. But it also speaks to the idea that it's hardship that oftentimes leads us to the Lord. Oh, um, yeah, and we have, quite frankly, the the millennial generation has has grown up in a very very pampered twenty year period of our, of American history. Not only pampered, just at the height of leisure and 
recreation and comfort, but also just think of what computers have been able to grant them. Just an escapist realm, sure. or a realm of light and wonder and exciting things, and, and the, le- the least little bit of thing that that, that gives them a, a trial or tribulation. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very difficult thing. They don't know how to handle it. So I'm, I'm thinking, like I said at the end of my article, you know, this is, this is a experience, this is, the, is a tough school, and hopefully this will start getting them to kind of realize that, you know, life is tough. <laughs> yes. Um, you even commented about music and your expectations of where that might be going as this worldview plays itself out. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you probably remember the, the Reagan days and, and just the complete histrionics that went on and, and, and just how the music and, and, and the movies was all very critical of any sort of conservative Christian worldview. Sure. Um, but that that is music and movie making. I've in my studies on Gnosticism, I recognize that, that basically pop media, again whether it's music or movies or stuff going on in the internet, these are basically the sacramental um, means of grace in the new religion of the self, the new Gnostic mm-hmm. religion. The, the the movies, the music. You, look, you watch someone listen to a music or, or his favorite song. They find tremendous meaning and tremendous depth of, of uh, meaning in, in these songs, and, and that has become sort of the new sacrament, which is why I'm, I'm, I think Christians need to be very on guard of letting music drive or run the Christian service and see that as more of the connection with God than the Word of God or the sacrament. Yeah, that's an excellent point. In the remaining three or four minutes, um, mm-hmm. suppose you're talking right now, and probably are, to, uh, to a young man, young woman, who's uh, looking, going on to college, possibly going on to military, trying to make that yeah. decision. Any kind of uh, pointers you might want to share with them as they try to sort this out? Well, um, first off, anybody going to college right now, unless they're going to go into engineering or nursing, there's something very specifically occupational. Um, it's kind of hard to get a job. If anybody is interested in the trades or um, sort of technical skills, that's what the demand is for right now. So that, that, i just say that on another note. College can sometimes be devastating for the faith. Yeah. You, you leave losing your faith, losing $80,000, and not having a job to pay it off. Yeah, so really. To me, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of down on the whole college thing anyways. Um, as far as military, I'm in a military intelligence unit. They tend to be more analytical and a little more skeptical towards religion. If you go into an infantry unit or a um, combined arms unit, something like that, they tend to be far more uh, Christian-based. So mm-hmm. there is a difference, and depending on what kind of unit you, you, you become involved in. But there's, there's a lot of great Christians in the Army, and, and I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody will, any Christian will feel like they're being persecuted um, in the context of the military. And in college, it's very important to find a campus ministry and, and get in touch with it um, and, be, and stay connected to it, because college will be a challenge to the faith not only intellectually, but morally. You know, people are freed from their parents. They don't have to go to church every week anymore. They will they'll have an easy tendency to drift off and, you know, get involved, and who knows what kind of sins are out there. And we, we know that they're all over on the college campus. Yeah, and I would think that you'd want to find those Christian friends as soon as possible. I mean, like, within hours of arriving Definitely. on campus. Seek out Christian friends, uh, accountability, because mm-hmm. uh, the enemy of our souls is so very uh, present uh, in yep. all of life, but particularly there. 
and the yep. temptations are are beyond beyond your wildest imaginations they really are. <laughs> and and they're they're terribly evil today we've been talking with uh, peter m burfind uh, he is a campus pastor at the university of toledo and he's the author of gnostic america a reading of contemporary american culture and religion according to christianity's oldest heresy and peter if someone would like to acquire a copy of your book how would they do that I just go to Amazon.com, but just when you hear the word Gnostic America, it's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C, kind of like agnostic without the A. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, it. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that people look like Gnostic, and they start looking up <laughs> the letter N, but it's Gnostic America. If you go to Amazon, you can get it there real easily. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much for joining our listeners today, Peter. It's It's been a pleasure, and we trust that... The Lord continues to bless your work there at the University of Toledo and also with our military. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir, and thank you for having me on, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.